out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of... Terry Newman, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy stuff. Um, Lectures at the University for the Creative Arts in Epsom, but has had a life in culture, fashion, style, music, creativity and all that other groovy stuff. Originally it was ID Magazine, Attitude and then has gone through loads of other bits and pieces, which you'll find out about in this interview. It's fascinating. But has just brought a book out on the world of Taylor Swift and her style clothes. And much more. This is out on ACC Art Books and is available from all good bookshops and also online. She's also done a load of other books which have been fascinating that you'll hear about in this interesting interview. So look, after several minutes of interesting but casual chat, we get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years, both musically, culturally and all the other stuff. Anyway, Terry, it's over to you. Well, I was thinking about this the other day and for me, um, it was it was a kind of really curious moment when I when I saw Blondie on top of the pops or some somewhere that you know there was so rarely did you see um, you know music on television but it was Blondie and it was when um, her album Parallel Lines was out and I just remember thinking she looked fantastic and I was quite young at the time and I don't think I'd even ever bought an LP or a record before but that was the first album that I went out and bought just because I loved her look so much so for me and, and you know and the music was that kind of slight kind of new wave punky kind of stuff and I just thought it was fantastic and so different to anything that I'd kind of come across before because you know all I'd done is like listen to my dad's country and western sort of songs at home and that kind of thing Um, but yeah I thought Blondie just looked and sounded amazing rather like David Bowie I suppose as well yes well, I think we lucked out there because both Debbie Harry and David Bowie were so iconic, really. And actually, my my first single was Space Oddity, followed by Rod Stewart's Sailing, I have to admit. But the third one was Blondie's uh, Denis Denis or Denise, which was uh, this kind of very snappy two and a half minute song that I remember being mesmerised on top of the pops with. And um, and then, yes, then then fell in love with that album Parallel Lines, as you mentioned, because it had some yeah. incredible songs and then Eat to the Beat. And um, yes, it was just like love at first sight, really. And also she had such great confidence and sort of swagger about herself. So, um, yeah. And even and, and you know, to, to, to this day as well, she's a great performer. You know, she's still she's still got it. Yeah, she still looks great. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's amazing. So then as as the 80s progressed, and I'm sort of, um, you know, it was quite an interesting time. And that was kind of, I suppose, one of my decades of, of when I was a bit older. I mean, we had that kind of there was a huge amount of styles in the 80s with, you know, there was goth, there was new romantics, there was psychobilly, there was there was, I, I suppose, the punk movement was still happening with those sort of spiky looks. What was your kind of 80s like? Or were you a bit younger than me at this no, stage? No, no, I'm, I'm kind of in the same ballpark, honestly. But, I mean, when I talk about, um, you know, fashion history and music history to my students, because I lecture as well as write, you know, I'm always kind of conscious of sort of, of explaining that, you know, there were so many interesting things going on in, in every decade, in the 80s, absolutely. So, 
you know, in some respects, you know, it's like you said, we still had that kind of goth look going on. We had the new romantics going on, but also, you know, hip hop was 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 kind of like kicking in, and and you know, there are all sorts of subcultural sort of clothes and music that were really resonant. Um, so for me, I suppose my earliest um, 80s kind of thing was, was I suppose, two-tone. And, um, you know, that kind of sort of scar music. Um, and I was quite young. I was at sort of, I don't know, at school and wasn't really old enough to be interested in it. But um, some of the older kids liked it. And I just remember thinking, again, it was just this fusion of music and clothes that really mesmerised me. Um, so that was probably a bit before, you know, the new romantics and all of that kind of stuff. But I thought they had such a strong look. And recently I went to see the um, Dance Crazy uh, documentary, which is just basically a film of loads of gigs, which obviously I never went to see. Um, and it's so interesting because half of the audience look very stylish and half of the audience look just very normal. So I think I think you kind of had to make an effort um, to sort of engage with with looking like your idols and sort of and maybe you had to be a bit brave as well to to sort of dress up and stuff like that but that's my that was my that was my awakening I suppose two-tone and scar yeah well it was a guy who's who's putting these books out at the moment I don't know if he's probably still got some projects Sam Neill who's put quite a lot of books on especially he he's focused a lot on music and tribes and I suppose music at that point was very tribal which um young people probably I don't know if, if they can relate to that but you had to kind of pick a band and and then that that kind of type of music but then you couldn't like anything else so if you if you were into two-tone you weren't going to be into heavy metal and if you were into heavy metal you definitely weren't going to be into new romantics I mean and it was quite sort of a fear it was a little bit sort of such a lot of identity with clothes at that stage and who you hung out with and um yes who who your role models were I think that's that's where music clothes and and those kind of um, scenes developed so strongly and that's why probably so many people are still analysing or have gone back and looked at the 80s with kind of more curiosity because it, it kind of was very there was there was so many different groups and then little subsections because because the, the, the two-tone was like 90 was it 79 to about 81 82 and then yes, you know, most yeah. most scenes changed, don't they? And then you had the Smiths come along in eighty three with Morrissey, and then you you know, and there was other scenes because you mentioned New Romantics. There was also the Blitz Blitz Kids, and then as we progressed, interestingly enough, the drugs changed, and you had ecstasy, and then we had sort of the baggy look as well with with another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned the Smiths, so they were the first. That was the first kind of band that I went to see and and it was also exciting and very alternative in a kind of scruffy way and then it was all about dressing up and but then like you said then back to the back then then acid house started and it was all very baggy again but I think I think what's interesting is that this at the end of the 90s we saw this kind of real sort of fast moving kind of trend cycle which meant that everybody started mixing and matching so today I think that the sort of generation of um you know, young person that I sort of lecture to, they, they don't understand the, the concept of sort of, of, of a kind of having to make a decision on who you were. You know, one day they can dress up and like Blondie, the next they can reference Boy George and the next they'll go and look like, you know, someone from Mad Men or something. So <laughs> it's, it's like they just have no kind of loyalty in a way to, to sort of looking um, sort of, 
a subculturally sort of savvy um it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't kind of occur to them i think that they can't do everything they want all the time which is no. i guess fun you know it's great yes but I, yes i it's an interest i'm not sure how i'd cope i preferred sort of just stick into one band because the smiths were my band for five years so meet his murder and sort of flailing around sort of being quite oh yeah we were probably at the same gigs then yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) sort of feeling very sort of heart-wrenched about all those kind of very deep and meaningful lyrics by dear old morrissey so um yes it it was a kind of glorious time and also i think with pop music just there is a kind of a five-year narrative and there's kind of in those days or possibly three three to five you know where a band would get together they'd have that 12 months honeymoon period then they would get a John Peel play, a John Peel session, an album, then that kind of second, third album, if they're lucky, and then their kind of dynamics within the band would implode, explode, and um, that was the end of that. But um, five years is normally a good thing. And what I also realised was that every like every five years, there's a new wave of 16, 18-year-olds come along, and they're looking for their own identity. Well, they did, they did back then, I suppose, but um, yes. So then, yeah, no, there's always... It's always there's a cycle of everything's a cycle, isn't it? Everything yes. kind of comes into fashion, then goes out of fashion, then it ultimately comes back into fashion as well at some point. Yes. So that. So then, just briefly, then, how did you then sort of go from the eighties flailing around with Morrissey to your next kind of step in the in into ID magazine and and attitude? Well, that was quite interesting. I mean, for me, I, I suppose I hadn't really kind of you know I didn't have a kind of career game plan but I knew that I always wanted to write and and basically I sort of you know I'd read ID when I was younger and I'd been you know really you know poured over lots of different kind of style magazines but I was working I actually had my first job was working with a young designer and I worked with her um, a woman called Lulu Guinness it was just the two of us in her basement making handbags Um, and I worked there for a long time and she kind of gave me confidence to sort of I don't know kind of feel that I could kind of do things in a way you know when you're kind of young you're not not really sure anyway I knew people who worked at ID magazine but I couldn't afford to, to sort of work there you know, without getting paid, and a job came up as the dog's body. So I went and worked as the dog dog's body. But when I was there, it was a really magical time, sort of in the mid nineties, when the magazine was still independent and it was really run by the staff. We didn't have to answer to anybody. You, it was literally about kind of writing and pointing out things that you're really interested in. So I worked there and I, and, and I made it kind of quite clear that I wanted to write. And also at the time I wanted to style as well. So eventually I was given the chance to do that and then ultimately given my own pages. So I got, I learned everything at ID magazine and, and I, I owe so much to um, uh, the fashion editor there, Edward Enenfall, who's obviously gone on to bigger and better things. Um, but it was a real a time when you could kind of just feel very free. And there were so many young designers coming up that were, that, was, that were really quite groundbreaking and kind of pioneering in so many different ways. That, that moment in the 90s, I sort of analysed it time and time again, because as you say, you know, sort of music and fashion and art, it all came together in a really sort of magical way that maybe had something to do with the fact that we were kind of hurtling towards the end of the, you know, hurtling towards the millennium and everybody was kind of feeling quite experimental and sort of, I don't know, there was something in the air anyway at that moment in time. But working at ID was a real... um, 
it was it was just I, I learned everything there and I learned to sort of be confident and just sort of just like what you like and sort of it was it was just very exciting really um so I I, I worked there for a long time actually and and while I was working there, I got offered a job at Attitude magazine, which obviously I really loved as well. So I ended up kind of going part time at ID and part time at Attitude um, and working for both of the magazines. So there was a real sort of breadth of experience there working, you know, with all the boys at Attitude, having lots of fun. But even at that time, it was it was such an important magazine because it was before the internet had really kind of started in any significant way. And, and what I realized very quickly was, even though it was a very fun and jolly and exciting magazine to work for, it meant so much to so many people because we used to get letters from kids from all over the world who would write in and say, you just don't know how much it means to me to know that a magazine like Attitude is out there. And I realize I'm not alone because I'm here in a small town or a village or a place where you know being gay wasn't accepted um so I felt I felt very passionate and very happy working there as well it was a, a really sort of important time in my life I think working at those magazines I sort of it was very free and it was really fun but also I felt you know it was kind of important as well because at ID I championed young designers and I wrote about that it was it was just a yeah it was a really magical time Yes, because I think, um, yeah, so much happened because obviously we can remember sort of the 80s and how, um, yeah, you know, people would be blackmailed about their, their um, sexuality, wouldn't they? The press would be saying, we've got something on such and such a politician or entertainer and we're going to bring them down. And, you know, people forget that that was kind of like such a taboo subject, wasn't it? And it was yeah. it seemed incredibly yeah. brave when people like, you know, Bronsky beat and were about or or boy George it did you know it did seem such a sort of there were so many attitudes which are still hung you know hung over from the sort of the 50s and 60s on um, that whole world really so yeah um, and and you know it was you know there was there was a, it was a lot still to load of barriers still to break down and and you kind of can't really think about it like that sometimes because it seems such a short time ago but um, you know, thankfully things have changed, have changed a bit, and are still changing. So that's only that's good. Yeah. Yes. God, I know. So we went from the Thatcher years to John Major to New Labour, which obviously there was a there was a huge shift, wasn't there, in in kind of energy during that time of kind of creativity and and especially magazines. They really did become a thing in the nineties and the O years. I think it was um, a kind of a glory period, wasn't it? Because I suppose, I don't know if you've looked at Paul Gorman, he seems to document a lot about the face, didn't he? And Oh yeah, a... he's amazing. I love his book about the face. It's fantastic. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a really interesting um, uh, writer and I think he's got a, a really interesting take on, on that kind of moment in time. Absolutely. Yes, it's. Uh, I, I sort of find them all kind of very fascinating because, again, you know, the magazine was an identity. Which one you were going to buy, and what that what that said about you. It's all. Mm. It was also angsty in the eighties and nineties, wasn't it? Well, the eighties especially. So um, that was good. So then coming to your your latest book, which is quite incredible. So this is a sort of a series of books that you brought together, which started with art writers and authors, then artists, and then you've done this series of of kind of like the zeitgeist in you know Billie Eilish Harry Styles Beyonce and then Taylor Swift which you couldn't yes, have picked yes. a better time really to 
to um, yes capture that moment. So with the first one, authors, did you get com- was that a commission that you were offered on that? Well, I think I think that what happened was I sort of um, I really wanted to write a book because I kind of got a bit tired of working as a journalist because you know as we were talking about the 90s it was just very fast and frenetic and I suddenly wanted to kind of slow down a little bit and um, not really slow down but I wanted to kind of celebrate things in a slightly different way so I had this kind of ambition to write a book and I spent many years sort of like you know thinking of proposals and trying to work out ideas but eventually I sort of thought about what would be my absolute dream book and it would be a book about books and clothes um and so I put together a proposal and spoke to an agent who immediately sort of saw the saw the idea and um and anyway it very luckily it got commissioned by um Hob Collins in New York and that was the the first book I wrote on my own I'd contributed to other books before but it was just this idea that when I was growing up, as well as music, um, my my kind of refuge was reading books. And, and I was as, as interested in what who the authors were and what they wore, as well as what they wrote. You know, I thought the two went together and I always thought it was very fascinating. And and so I'm, I'm interested in fashion, but I'm also interested in outsiders and people who go their own way. And one of the things about authors is that, you know, people don't expect them to be fashionable. But the more I looked at it, the more I realised how influential many sort of writers have been. And lots of designers take reference to the sartorial codes of authors. So anyway, that's that's that was my idea. And I got the commission. And then I sat down on the first day to write it. And the first author that was on my list to write about was Samuel Beckett. And I thought, oh, no. I've kind of really gone and done it now because I, I don't think I can write about Samuel Beckett's clothes, but I steeled myself and I suddenly realised it, you know, my ideas did work and I found out, you know, like lots of really interesting things about his clothes sense, also how he used clothes in his books and play, in his plays. So um, it all it all went it all went very well and and to my utter surprise, the book was a real success. Um, and people thought that it was the oddest combination of things to talk about. But to me, it always felt very, very natural and kind of obvious in a way. Um, yes. So that's so that's how that happened. Yes, it's interesting. I did go and see Donna Tart once when she was doing a reading at the oh, UEA. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> what was she? So what did you think? Oh, she was stunning. I mean, I mean, I really liked her book, you know, that her book, the two first books anyway that I read. Mm. And then I thought I'd really wanted to go and see her live. And um, she just had such an amazing kind of southern gothic quality, doesn't she? And um, I was slightly yeah. mesmerized and everything about her is is so, I mean, incredible. I mean, you know, how do people what, pull that look off? It's just fantastic. So, yes, I mean, there's a lot of people who are kind of, I'd say, a bit more obvious, like Oscar Wilde or Quentin Chris, but then, and Tom Wolfe. But then, you know, people yes. like Donna Tart is, is just, uh, I don't know, I just loved her voice, you know, I sort of mesmerised watching interviews with her as well. So, um, Well, I, I think the thing about Donna Tart is that obviously she's got that kind of whole southern romanticism about her. But when you look at her, she's got a real androgyny and a kind of boyish quality that I sort of, that to me kind of taps in a little bit to the sort of 20s and the sort of that kind of moment in time. But one of the things, um, I mean, I'm just, because obviously I'm a huge fan of Donna Tart as well, but when I was 
researching all about her that you know what I found was that she also romanticized the the clothes that um authors wore so I actually was very cheeky and I wrote to her Asian I, and I said oh you know I don't suppose she'd be interested in writing an introduction to the book I mean obviously I was completely you know out of line asking her to do such a thing but I, I got I got a firm firm no back but 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 I did get a message saying that she was really interested in the book. Um, so that was as thrilling as anything. Um, and as a fan, I'm sure you'd understand that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have, no, absolutely. Yes, it was the secret history. And then it was the the little friend, wasn't it? I yeah. do remember. Yes, yeah. those, those years of reading Donna Tarp, which was good. So look, and, and then sort of trucking. And so then obviously that was successful. You did artists and then the the kind of the modern pop artist as well and um finishing well well not finishing but sort of coming up to taylor swift so how did this then become a kind of ongoing project well i suppose um well the harry styles book i i mean i'll be completely honest about this i sort of it was during the pandemic and a publisher approached me and had really liked my first two books and said that they wanted me to write a book um, in a similar vein about Harry Styles. And I said, well, I'm I'm not sure I'm really the best person to write about Harry Styles because I don't know, I don't really know anything about him that much. And they said, no, but you know about fashion. Um, and so I said, okay, well, let me have a think about it. Um, and I thought about it. And one of the things that I haven't really addressed um, is the fact that, you know, fashion today is really about celebrity and, and you know, it, it has become a very different phenomenon. So I, I had a look at Harry and I thought I could I could write this book if I could write it as a fashion, a music fashion history book. So that's what I did. And I got really in, into it. And, and it was absolute joy to write. And actually, obviously, I'm a huge fan now of Harry Styles, you know, having discovered all I can about him and the clothes that he wears. So so that was what happened there. And I really enjoyed writing it. And And, and I suppose in the past, I've always been slightly kind of you know, I hadn't really kind of paid attention to the sort of whole um, really big, big sort of stardom of, of fashion and music. And what I found was that it was it's it's just such a relevant and interesting conversation that um, I thought it'd be really fun to to do the same with other pop stars that have got interesting kind of takes on the clothes that they wear so so the publisher has been brilliant and and given me this opportunity to write a series and the way I've approached them is very much as a sort of it's kind of like a fashion biography of the musicians so it's kind of putting their clothes under a microscope and sort of analyzing them from from different kind of perspectives um and so so that's 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 so that's where we where we are now with with Taylor Swift you know and that was an absolute pleasure to write and um, obviously she's fantastic I'm a huge Swifty um, <laughs> and there was something really really wonderful about writing about such a talented and sort of interesting and secure and confident and influential um, pop star you know who's who's you know who's a, a really strong woman as well so it, it's it's been a real journey for me and I think one of the things that I that, why I like to write is because um, when you write, you're you're always learning about new things. So I've got a kind of, a, you know, a sort of fashion history and fashion sort of perspective on as an expert, if you like. Mm. But then you can kind of throw that lens on different subjects and really kind of flesh it out in an interesting way. So so Taylor's been 
absolutely brilliant and and she's you know the book's selling like hotcakes so that's also really thrilling for me as well yes absolutely I mean it does capture yeah a certain kind of a perfect timing really with this massive tour that she's just undertaken mm. and the cinema release which I did go to the uh, go, go to the cinema to see it because I thought I needed to sit on the big screen and someone recommended it and it was incredible and, and actually one thing you mentioned said there was secure because what boggled me was the fact that somebody who's so under the spotlight all the time plus that whole world of social media and then trying to you know record and write material having issues with the record label which everyone will have it sometime but has navigated it better than probably someone like Prince um and has yeah. been kind of like quite clever with it and and sort of hasn't hasn't sort of fallen by the wayside and hasn't been destroyed by this kind of um this thing which is it's kind of meant, you know, it's it's beautiful, but then it's ferociously mean as well, as we can see with, you know, the, the world has been littered with kind of singers and artists who, who just can't deal with the kind of what happens when the dream becomes reality and then that reality becomes a nightmare and then you ended up in the gutter like Oscar Wilde <laughs> looking at the yeah. stars. So yeah. it's it's kind of, yeah, Secure was kind of, yes, for me, I thought, yeah, that's that's incredible. So with her, did you already have a certain idea of who she was and what she'd done since her sort of work in the, I suppose it was the mid-O years, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I've always been aware of who she is and always been kind of quite sort of, um, you know, kind of absolutely impressed because she's always seemed like this kind of shooting star that could kind of do no wrong. So I was, I was fascinated to kind of like, you know, delve a bit deeper. But, you, but you know, what you said is absolutely right because, um, you know, we kind of expect sort of our geniuses to be tortured and and have some you know creative people to have some kind of you know Shakespearean floor or something and you know that people are always kind of waiting for people to trip up or fail or I don't know be dysfunctional in one way or another and I suppose that's part of the kind of you know interest in people's lives you know this, the people are fallible but what's been so interesting and so amazing um, looking at her and watching her career, you know, from, from a long time ago, really before I started writing the book, is that that she's just managed to navigate the world in such a sure-footed way. And it kind of goes to sort of prove that, you know, you don't have to, it to be creative, you don't have to fail, you can just do it right. And that's so exciting. I suppose in a way, you know, we had David Bowie, who was so sort of amazing. Obviously, he kind of, you know, went in and out of, of drug rehab and all the rest of it. But his his creativity kind of endured right up until he passed away. And 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 so there are these kind of amazing people. And I just think she's one of those amazing people. Yes, I I, I agree. I mean, I didn't sort of um, I sort of it, I came sort of late to the party. I'd, I'd heard a couple of singles, which I thought, wow, these are catchy. But it was during the, her lockdown and she brought a, an album out called Folklore that I became quite oh, fascinated. Yeah. And yeah. I just I really loved her, some of those songs. I thought they were amazing lyrical, lyrical content. And also musically, they were just intriguing. And she worked with different people. And I, I was just like really taken by it and then sort of started to sort of work backwards and then sort of work forwards. And, and obviously, you know, ended up watching the film and getting the book. So it was quite it was quite interesting. And then sort of seeing the detail because you mentioned Bowie. And I've, I've always found him fascinating because the stuff that he did in the 60s, like the mod stuff, 
um, and various other bits and pieces, his art lab with his kind of curly hair, kind of were, were kind of experiments that weren't kind of going anywhere. But then in the 70s, he brought out, you know, one album basically a year. He, you know, different characters. He did, you know, relocated different films. But he was always very obsessed with the image and the camera and, and photography and, and sort of bringing kind of costume to the party, which kind of helped him. I think as a performer, become David Bowie from David Jones. His this, you know, his his kind of real self. Because I think when he started, he wanted to write for other people to sing his songs, but realised that no one was going to sing them, so he became that performer. So it was interesting seeing seeing how Taylor Swift has also changed her style over the years, and she's kind of again to quote, you know, Lou Reed, she's kind of been growing up in public quite quite a lot, which must be quite challenging. But at the same time. There isn't that kind of oh dear, she's really going through a bad phase, you know, which is which is amazing in this day and age. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think that it is. I think it is um, really interesting because the, the thing is, she's such a talented songwriter, as you pointed out, um, and musician. It's almost like that the image could be left to one side, but you know, she's got the kind of magic balance of 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 a great image and as well as a, a musical talent and those fused together rather, you know, like Bowie did as well and like Harry Styles as well. You know, these people are so talented. They could they could just focus on the music and go out wearing a T-shirt almost and sing the songs that they've written. Um, but there is something quite magical when you when you see it both on when you see both of those things fused together on stage. Yes. And with with someone like Taylor Swift and doing this book, do you find that it's her that's really interested in the image, or do you do you, do you feel that there's people around her that she's got very good sort of a creative team that kind of nudge her in different directions? Well, I think that you know when you, I mean, I think I think honestly, when you look at stars as big as Taylor Swift and Beyonce and Harry Styles and and even you know Rihanna and and Billie Eilish to extent to a certain extent you know they have to have a team around them you know a team of people who help them be the person that they are but I think that where where the expertise comes in is is, is kind of choosing your team and being secure in your choices um, and what I think about Taylor is is that she doesn't follow trends you know she she kind of takes a step back from that particular way of of kind of engaging with fashion and she does her own thing which I think is really refreshing um and it does feel authentic you know it does feel like it's her making those choices I have no doubt that people bring her racks of you know if she says oh I want a you know red dress or I want this or that you know I'm not I'm 100% sure she gets people bringing her those things but I think that ultimately the style choices she makes do feel like a reflection of her Yes, it's it's quite interesting. There's a lovely chapter you've got on it, which you know you've got your your Jimi Hendrix picture, haven't you? With his and sort of reference that film, which I really had loved, um, Velvet Goldmine. Oh um, yes, yeah, which, which was kind of amazing. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting seeing. I love the way that you sort of bring these kind of influences together. You know, there's another chapter or a piece that you got get shorty talk about bloomers and and her with her kind of you know knowledge acknowledging the '60s kind of shorts and and sort of these styles. So, did you in do you enjoy that aspect of you know modern fashion and seeing where it's been um, sort of borrowed from or sort of adapted from? 
Well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's where sort of my kind of more academic work comes in because I sort of taught fashion history a lot and you know and that's the way I, I came to fashion you know looking at, at, at what 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 had been and the thing is of course you know fashion as I said is a cycle so you there are always going to be these kind of references and almost nothing is new in fashion it's always been done before but what's interesting is how people refresh it and so joining the dots is one of my favorite games to play yeah yes and do you find with her and you know like seen other artists do you feel that she's managing that journey in fashion and being able to present herself or sell herself better than other people who you feel it's they've kind of lowered their bar and it's not it's a bit sort of I don't know I suppose more pornographic whereas do you sort of find that you know with with someone like Taylor Swift she's managing to sort of navigate that journey a bit better than other artists I think she's well you know to put it to put it succinctly I think I think you know yeah she's very classy and you know she hasn't really as far as I can tell put a step wrong you know she she does she does things the way she wants to and she's she's managed to kind of navigate that kind of terrain where pop stars are expected you know especially young girl pop stars are sort of expected to be kind of sex kittens she's she's kind of done it her own way it might be because she's come from country roots and and so that's been the sort of slight angle at the beginning but I know I think she's I think she's a role model in many different ways and and just kind of being very happy to do things the way she wants to is is very laudable yes well what's her from her first album right through to the latter part of her career what do you what would you say has been the major kind of changes in her style and her sort of look and confidence well I think I think one of the things that I really enjoy about Taylor Swift is the fact that she obviously has fun with clothes um and so you know she went through a I suppose like a fairy headband phase um which isn't everybody's cup of tea but you know she just owns it you know if she likes something she owns it and and so I suppose for me just kind of having a real playful approach to to close and that's that's the thing that really kind of holds everything she does together um that's what I kind of enjoy most but but be all right you know she's she's certainly grown up in in the public eye and for that reason as well you know many many claps her way because I don't know many people who could kind of look look back at themselves when they were 20 and still feel kind of happy for people to be pouring over pictures of them and and you know <laughs> It, it, it's just no she's 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 just kind of not really put a step step wrong I don't think she's I don't think she's she's not been kind of like as I say engaging in trends but she's not out of style either for that very reason so all of the all of her kind of choices just feel like her yes that's interesting because I did go and see Bowie the exhibition at the V&A Bowie David Bowie is do you imagine that in a few years' time, the V&A will also have an exhibition of some of these amazing outfits and styles coupled with her kind of musical output. Yeah, I mean, I don't doubt it. I mean, the V&A are very good at doing these blockbuster uh, exhibitions and, and someone like Taylor Swift would sell out in an instant. And so, I mean, for that reason alone, I, I, I think they'd be crazy not to. But I think for all us Swifties out there, I think we'd love it. We'd love to go and see all her clothes in, in an exhibition and give them... Give them the reverence they deserve. 
Yes, it's absolutely. a great idea. <laughs> it's a great, and just um, and just you know, we talked about our other sort of role model during the the eighties, Mr. Morrissey. Do you sort of feel that he he's still got a certain style and swagger that 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 works for him? Well, I certainly think that people look back at, at his kind of moments in the sun, particularly as you say in that kind of like the mid eighties time, and kind of consider him to be a sartorial role model just for the fact that he would wear, you know, women's blouses and sort of have that huge quiff. And, you know, he was a real, you know, even though he's sort of this kind of shy outsider who had a massive opinion, um, he had a great look. Um, and I think that having a, any any moment in your life where you've had a great look is 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 is, is almost enough, you know. Maybe we we can all only ever hope for one great look, and he certainly had one great look. <laughs> yes, it's just kind of interesting watching how he looks now and and sort of dressing in a quite a sort of interesting style. I think it kind of goes with his physique now, but it's just kind of interesting still having a certain you know love of Morrissey, but a complicated relationship. Put it that way. <laughs> So, yeah, um, yeah. yes, we love him. And then, you know, obviously this has been brilliant timing with, with this bit of book. Have you got any other artists or um, projects that are on the go or sort of in the back? back yeah, down? well, we've got um, Beyonce coming out um, early next year. Um, and I've done a, a sort of my first kind of retro book about a band, which I'll, um, it, so I'll, I'll let you know, it's, I've done a Spice Girls book. Yes. Um, which was really good fun. Um, so those are the next two coming up. And I'm working on a slightly different book at the moment, but um, all shall be revealed. Yeah. So it's a slightly different book um, about kind of a, a different kind of fashion role model. But the, the two, two in the um, fashion biography music series, Beyonce and the Spice Girls. Yeah. So Brilliant. Well, I have to say this is this is great. Well, thank you ever so much for giving me the time for this. I'll just put my head. Yes, so this this there you go. There's there's me. Yeah, well, Terry, thank you. This has been brilliant, okay. and um, yes, I have to say I've really enjoyed looking at the book, and it's been really lovely to also read it. I love all those bits with people like Carol King and Jimi Hendrix, and sort of the history of fashion as well. So it's been fantastic. So all the best for that, and um, yes, I'll, I can send your your you thank know, you so much for inviting me on thank you yes well look have a lovely mid merry midwinter and christmas and i'll say goodbye thank you so much david see you Take again care. soon bye -bye. Bye. bye bye i know it's a lovely ending i love keeping those bits in it just always sounds so sort of yes indecisive which is my middle name well, not really. But anyway, look, a massive thank you to Terry Newman for giving me the time for that interview. As as you can tell, we just before Christmas 2023 on the world that is uh, Taylor Swift and the clothes, fashion style and much more. And as I said, that's on ACC Art Books, which is an amazing public. Uh, publishers and have done some incredible books on music, creativity and lots more available uh, from all good bookshops and also online. And um, if you want to contact me, The C86 Show, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. You can find it there. And um, yes, all these interviews have been archived on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam. It's true. Have a great week. Stay safe.